Open Field Radio. Like, subscribe, share, and review wherever podcasts are found. Open Field Radio. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Where ag and life collide. Brought to you by Gow. Kyle Matheson, the Cherry King, Stamilt Hill, Washington. We talk it all right now. Hello, America, and a growing audience around the world. Welcome to Open Field Radio, raising the hip factor in agriculture. That's what we do. You know what? This is a really interesting show today. Not that they're not all interesting, but this one in particular, pretty cool thing. You know, I get an email that says, are you interested in talking with the Cherry King? And I'm like, what? Wait a minute. Now, uh, this is my first rodeo in this whole thing, and it seems like agriculture has a lot of kings. I don't know why, but we've had the Onion King on, and you know what? I'm not going to turn down the Cherry King. No, 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 no. Kyle Matheson, the Cherry King from Stimmelt Hill, Washington. You know what? This is a cool interview. What a cool guy. Yep, he's busy, and man, is he passionate. Passionate about cherries and passionate about life. And you're going to hear it all coming up here shortly. Really, really cool. Stick around for all of that. Well, 2023 is here, and we've waved goodbye to 2022, and it's all good because you know what? It's all the future ahead of us, and I love that. Looking ahead, we got some great guests coming up and scheduled for the rest of season three here super exciting and the show is doing really well thank you for that the newest thing is this show is now coming to you in hd audio what's that mean i don't know it just means it's crystal clear you can probably hear my eyelashes that may be too close to hd but it's awful clear that's all i know and we're happy to bring it to you that way it's just a cool thing you know what i mean open field radio in hd don't forget about openfieldradio.com that's right the website with all the information on the show the episodes photos you name it it's all there subscribe if you're so inclined that's always handy and most of all we're just glad you listen and stop by the site well let's get to it kyle matheson the cherry king it's all coming your way in plus or minus 90 seconds open field radio remember that time your dad walked in and said get off the couch and get a job and you're like a job come on well here's one to throw in the mix skip the job how about a career at Gowan. Maybe you're in agriculture, maybe you're in science, maybe you're none of that. Check it out at gowanco.com slash careers. Great opportunities available and they're all cool. Careers right here in America and around the world. Come see it for yourself. That's gowanco.com slash careers. And tell them you heard it on Open Field Radio. Raising the hip factor in agriculture. Yeah. Open Field Radio. I want to hear from you. Yep, and not just an email. Though emails are cool, and of course this will involve an email too, but it'll be a cool email. Because here's what I need you to do. Grab your phone, find the voice app. You know the little memo app in your phone that nobody uses for much of anything? We're going to use it. I want you to give me your name, where you're from, what you do, and that you listen to Open Field Radio. So it would go like this. I'm Mark, Yuma, Arizona, host of Open Field Radio, and I listen to Open Field Radio. Got it? Just Fill in the blanks with your information. Shoot it off to me in an email, info at openfieldradio.com. I just might use it on the air. And if I do, I'll send you something cool. How's that? Because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. This is Larry Jamison from Maple Grove, Minnesota, and I'm driving across the great state of Iowa and listening to Open Field Radio. Connecting with the best audience in ag podcasts. One episode at a time, one listener at a time. Open Field Radio. Well, here we go. Open Field Radio, Season 3, Episode 4, Kyle Matheson, The Cherry King. It all starts right now. Kyle, how are you? 
Good. How are you, Mark? Good. Something tells me, I was looking at you online today and, uh, of course, getting ready for this. Something tells me you got a lot to say. I don't know what it is, but something tells me once I get you going. (laughs) I watched a video today of you on YouTube, I think it was, and it was all of a minute, minute and a half long. But the coolest thing in there was you said you get up every day with passion to build memory and trust. Can you tell me about that? Well, that's what I want to do. I I get up. You know, what are you going to do? Sit home, watch TV? I want to get up, and I want to sit, build a product. I want cherry that when people eat it, man, they say, remember it. And that's building memory. And I believe that memory is an instinct. It's, it's kind of... The caveman, when he had a good piece of fruit, he remembered what the bush was he went and got it from, and he went back to the same bush. And that's what the memory I want to build in our consumer, where they they have something that good, they're going to go back to that same bush and get it again and again. And the thing I want is that when they go back to that bush, the, the trust is that they're going to have the same experience, the same good memory that they had before they and that's the thing. And then the trust also is, you know, I want people to have trust that we're doing stuff right. We're concerned about the environment and stuff and that we build the trust with the consumer. We build a memory with the consumer, we build a trust. It's a partnership with retailers and us because, you know, they're actually, the retailer's the bush, the consumer's the caveman. And we just got to put them together. Where'd this passion come from? This, I mean, I'm watching you here. We're on Zoom, by the way, today for the listener. But I'm watching you here today, and you, you get you going, and it's it's like automatic for you. Where'd this come from? Well, I don't know. I I guess, uh, you know, I'm fourth-generation cherry grower. I've been up on that hill scratching the dirt for over 100 years trying to make a living. And it just seemed like that's what we're all about is, is a cherry business and you know, I have to say, when I was growing up in the 60s, I kind of wanted to be a revolutionary. I wanted to kind of change the world. So, I, you know, that's my changing the world is, is I wanted to farm it more organically, more uh, sustainably, and I wanted to, to change the world. And, and this is kind of how I did it. I, I, I'm kind of a rebel at heart, and, and that's where my passion comes from. Well, your goal, as I read it, your goal is to grow world-famous fruit. Have you succeeded? Every day, it's a journey. You never arrive. Have I succeeded? Well, I have to say no. I, you're only as good as your last box. Now, that's true. We've had some success, but we're not there yet. We're just, every day is a journey. We're only as good as our last box of fruit. And no, we haven't succeeded. We're, we're, we're on the journey, though. So for you, the listener, this is the real story. You can't make a guy like Kyle up. This guy is on, and he's on in a way like no other guest I've ever had on the show. Stick with it, and you're going to hear it all the way to the end. His excitement for what he does is infectious, and I think it's infectious across the whole spectrum, not just ag life. I mean, the guy has got it dialed in, but it's pretty darn cool, and he's on a journey. You know what? It's not everybody's journey, but Kyle's embraced it 100%, and a high five to Kyle because it's just that cool. Well, talk to me about this journey. This is really awesome. Talk to me about the journey. Your family history, fourth-generation fruit farmer, cherry farmer. What are you doing? Cherry farmer. So my great-grandpa... He came from Scotland to the gold rush. He was 20 years late for the gold rush, so they he were mining gold in Washington. He came up here. He started mining gold here. 
And, you know, they opened the ground for homesteaders, and he dug a ditch to the creek in the 1800s, 1890s, and then he got water to the homestead. He planted 20 acres of cherries in 1909, and that's where we the legacy starts, and we just kind of built on it from there. You know, and every year, you know, you're kind of standing on the shoulders of your ancestors, and I just want want, you know, when it come my turn, to be the steward of this ground. You know, I, I just wanted to continue the legacy and try to keep building it. You know, my, you know, I have to say, you learn a little bit every generation and that kind of a thing, you know, you're not starting from ground zero. You've got four generations of, my sons are in the business, the fifth generation. And so it just seems like, an evolutionary thing. We're only on this earth a little while and you just got to make the best of it. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. You know what's cool? You see your great-grandfather, your grandfather, your father, you, your sons are in, huh? Yeah, they're doing good. Uh, you know, I have to say I'm blessed. The secret to success is having good sons. And I've got two good sons and a great son-in-law and they're all involved in the business. You know, it's like your hand when you're a business. You know, taking the sales and marketing. Wes is in the uh, CEO of the company. Robin, he's running a bunch of orchards in the Columbia Basins. And, you know, it's it's not like it's disjointed, you know. I know exactly what the market's doing. Tate, he's telling me every day, you know, Dad, you got to do this, that, and the other thing. It's been a family operation, and I, I just think that's one of the key to our success. What was it like when your father said, you're in, or did you have a choice, or did was that a choice you made, or was that a choice he made, or is that just how it was supposed to be? Well, it was 1969, and so he we just started the warehouse, and he was busy loading the trucks. He was putting, the, you know, like always, he put the bad fruit in the nose and the good fruit on the tail of the truck. So when they opened the doors, they'd see the good stuff first, and they wouldn't kick it. And so he was busy doing that, and the orchards weren't getting much attention. And so he said, you know, you got to be in charge of the cherries and pears. Bob, you in charge of the apples. And so, you know, and then at that time, my grandma was alive and she was uh, really, we called her boss lady. And she was the one that really got us going. You know, she was a lot of desire, fired up. She's had that red hair and she had a lot of passion too. And so well, I just kind of grew into it. And, and I was just a kid at the time, but, well, the family was the orchards weren't as big, and and my dad didn't have much of a choice. You know, he had he couldn't run the warehouse and the sales and the orchard, so that's how I got more involved. And then I went to WSU, got a degree in horticulture, got married. You know, my grandma, she was always saying, "The only way we're going to make this place pay is with a positive attitude." You know, and we were, at that time we were flat ass broke. You know, we didn't have any money, and and uh, so when, you know, that was kind of, I grew up, we got to make this place play. And what happened 1970, well, it was 1959, my dad got $73 for a hundred ton of cherries. My mom says, you know, Tommy, you better go get the job at Alcoa. They're hiring. Or you got to figure it out. My dad went out the market. He saw these cherries. He was growing beautiful cherries hauling them in town and they were just garbage. They were dried up. They're no good. And so, you know, he decided, well, you have to do, do it better. And so 
you know, he figured out he had to have hydro coolers. He had to have a cold chain from the tree all the way to the retail shelf. He went to every shipper in town and they all said, Tommy, listen, we're into making money, not spending money. If you want to spend money putting hydro coolers in it, you do it yourself. And so in 1964, we started hydro cooling the cherries. We're getting them on an ice car to New York City to a Hunts Point auction market there and we were getting $36 a box and and a guy came all the way back from the east coast he said I had to see where those cherries come from because when they're on the auction floor they shine like rubies and that was a success and that's because we hydrocool we got that cold chain all the way from the tree to the consumer and that kind of that's kind of the legacy that you know I have to follow you know what the next thing you know, I, I don't know, but you just got to keep scratching the dirt trying to make a living. You know, every farmer I have spoken with on this show that has a legacy like that, generational farmers, all have this thing of living up to the expectations of their ancestors. I think it's fantastic. It's like, I can't let them down. And you're saying the exact same thing. I can't let them down. That's right. That's right. You don't want to let them down. You want to continue the legacy. That's right. And I guess that's in my DNA, you know. That's, that's American farmer it. pride right there. That's American yeah. farmer pride, isn't it? It is. It is. You know, you don't just don't show up, punch a time clock. You're in there, you know, the whole thing, you know. You got to make it happen. You're listening to Open Field Radio. Are you looking for a broad-spectrum botanical insecticide that controls key insect pests on outdoor food crops? Well, look no more. Aza Direct Botanical Insecticide. Proven effective in university tests as an insect growth regulator, repellent, and anti-feedant. Listed by Omri for use in organic production. Accredited by the USDA NOP. It meets new organic guidelines. Fully compatible for use in an IPM program. And can be applied up to the day of harvest. Tank makes flexibility compatible with many common used pesticides so what about that broad spectrum botanical insecticide you're looking for look no more Aza direct botanical insecticide always read and follow label directions from gowan company greatness is hard to come by but it's my job to find it open field radio cool people having conversations about agriculture and life it's that simple it's that one degree of separation it's where ag and life collide open field radio wherever podcasts are found I feel like the more shows we do, the more we get to know each other. You know what I mean? I know you, you know me. Oh, look, we're just regular people, right? I mow my yard, you mow your yard. Regular stuff. And when it comes to promoting open field radio, I need regular people to tell other regular people this show is happening. So tell somebody. Knock on somebody's door, call them up, send them a text, whatever, and tell them you're listening to open field radio, and by golly, they should be too. It'll be awesome, I promise, because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. Quick shout out to some folks we know are listening to Open Field Radio. Hello to Columbus, Ohio, Union City, California, Marshfield, Vermont, McMinnville, Oregon, Rio Rancho, New Mexico, Niagara Falls, Canada, Alajuela, Costa Rica, and Cuenca, Ecuador. Thanks for listening. From the Gowan Global Studio deep inside the Lee Hotel, this is Open Field Radio. So are, are you the self-proclaimed cherry king or did this come with a crown and a, and a scepter and everything else? Well, my dad, they have a cherry king every year. And then I was a cherry king of the industry a few, about probably 20 years ago. Oh, how fun. And then they just, you know, I just, I don't really know if I'm a king. I always say I'm the world famous 
Stimil Cherry Grower. And I say world famous is like it's it's a title, but it's a it's a journey. Like I say, when I'm world famous, I never arrive. I love it. Well, I'll be honest with you. Did a show, oh, last year with a guy that was the onion king of Texas. And I find yeah. in agriculture, I run into quite a few kings of whatever they're doing. But with that title, self-inflicted or not, but with that title, you know what? Comes some, some earned, if you will, pride. Mm -hmm. And you know when you talk to these guys, you included, the confidence just exudes. And uh, high five to you. You got a lot going on, and that's awesome. Talk to me about the cherries themselves. Can you break down what you grow? Or is there, I don't want you to give away any trade secrets or anything, but you know what I'm saying. We got lots of ag folks that listen to the show and a lot of curious folks that listen to the show. Can you talk to me about them? Well, you know, cherries, you know, I, I don't know. I have to say I, I farm with the moon. And so, you know, I try to put the compost in the new moon when the gravitational pull is greater to the earth. Do more foliars in the full moon when the lunar gravitational pull. And I always try to, the best cherry, I harvest cherries every day from, you know, June to August, but the best ones are during the full moon. And that's when I really like that. And so I, I work with the moon. I have a big compost operation. so. We, we collect all the compost, and I, I really believe, you know, that I want to give back to uh, Pachamama, my mother earth, and uh, I always want to be a, uh, someday maybe a, a shaman about cherries, where I, I, my latest orchard I call Pachamama, mother earth, where you got to realize that mother earth has given us these, this beautiful product, and how do you work in concert? with mother earth and and that's what i like doing i just kind of have want to have the intuitiveness you know like when is the new moon when is the like we got the new moon coming on the 23rd here well and you know the shortest day of the year is the 21st so you know the gravitational pull to the earth is the greatest right now it's going to be all year and you know that that's where you want it to be the blood of the fruit trees you want it into the roots you want it up in the top of the tree things like that you realize that the deeper the snow, the better the cherries. Because underneath that snow, you've got that compost that's been decomposing. It's like 42, 38 degrees under the snow. It's like a slow crock pot. It's just perking away with these microbes digesting this compost. And you get this rich compost soup. And when springtime comes, those trees just explode with blossoms and and because they've got all that organic soup in their roots. and. And that's the challenge I have is, you know, I farm in Bakersfield, California, and Chile, uh, and, and on Stemel Hill. And that's the thing I found is the unique thing about Stemel Hill where you have, you know, two or three foot of snow. Today we got over two foot of snow in those orchards and how that makes it such a different product. In the warm days and the cool nights, for some reason, I see that the land is my canvas and I am the artist and I've got to, you know, put trees on the, the north side, cherries on the south side, the, the apples and the bottom of the pears. And I, I just got to paint this the canvas with the, with the fruit that's going to grow best where it is. And that's what I, I, my passion is, is being that art of, of the canvas, of the land, the varieties, the, the quality of fruit that can grow the best in that location. 
think passion is an understatement, man. You are, wow, that is awesome. Where did your interest and in, in your fascination and curiosity and your use of the moon come from? You know, I'm a little bit of woo-woo kind of guy. And so, I, you know, the moon kind of fit into that. You know, and uh, I always found out, well, if I feel the gravitational pull like the trees do, I think I can have more of an opportunity to be successful. And I don't know, but most people, they're not farming with the moon. And so they don't really take advantage of those lunar gravitational pulls and the gravitational pull of the earth. And so I said, you know, I might just, well, do that and you know it's kind of that one of those woo things i like doing and and it seems like there is an effect i gotta ask though is woo woo is that a technical term yeah that's what my <laughs> wife calls it yeah you're full of woo woo yeah, yeah, I, yeah I know that. I, <laughs> and your and your love of the moon and the moon cycle hence moon cherries is that right yeah right you know, we're a half mile closer to the moon up there at 2,600 foot elevation. And you just didn't feel that lunar gravitational pull that much stronger, just pulling the flavors, the sugars, aromatics right up out of that soil, up into that fruit. And I tell you, it seemed like there's a lot of other things. It's the, the soils, the compost, the snow in the wintertime. But that, it's just that high elevation gives me a different product. And so... You know, when you get to that point when you're in the, I call them the high elevation moon cherries, it's not, it's, it's not just a cherry, it's a moon cherry. And it's, we separate ourselves from being a commodity. They have firmer, they're sweeter, they have more aromatics, flavors. And so I just, you know, I just have to say the moon cherry half mile closer kind of kind of helps me tell my story. Now, I knew this was a thing, but maybe not as big a thing as this thing is, and that thing being planting by the moon. I think it's fascinating. It makes perfect sense. And so I looked it up, and of course, where do you go to look up things about the moon and agriculture? Of course, the old farmer's almanac. And don't forget, there is an Open Field Radio episode, episode 24 from season two, with the folks from Farmer's Almanac. Check that out. But planting by the moon, according to the old farmer's almanac, simply put, is the idea that the lunar cycle affects plant growth. Just as the moon's gravitational pull creates the tides in the ocean, it also creates more moisture in the soil, which encourages growth. That's straight out of the old farmer's almanac. How cool is that? It's really cool. And you know what? Kyle's on to something. I'm sure he's not the only one. You're in Washington. Talk to me about where you're at in Washington. We're in the center of the state on the east slopes of the Cascades, so that Washington's got the wet side. Seattle, we're on the dry side of the hill. We got this huge river called the Columbia River, and it never goes dry. It's just full of water, and we pump water out of that up, up on the east slopes of these hills. And we go from 600 foot at the river level up to right now at 3,800 foot, a little bit below the ski resort. And my vision is we're going to be picking these scary cherries right off the ski lift someday as you're going by, but not today. But you know, as you as you know, we go higher and higher. There's probably a limit to where you can grow cherries higher, but this is the greatest place to grow cherries. I grow I've grown cherries in Bakersfield, California. That was the worst place to grow cherries. It was too <laughs> darn hot, you know. The water was too salty, and and so we we got out of there after I couldn't 
be successful, but then I would grow cherries in Chile, and that's a beautiful place to grow cherries too. We just got back on Friday, we finished the crop, it seemed like a great crop of cherries. You have very good climate there, in California, in Northern California, Stockton, Lodi area had a lot better climate. And, and so, you know, I don't know, I've always kind of, where is the best climate to grow cherries? And it comes down to it's to Milt Hill. I mean, I've grown cherries all over the world, and and I found that you know I need to just keep where great granddad homestead seemed like it's probably the best place. Somehow, so, great granddads seem to know best, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> how we ended up here by the grace of God, that's for sure. That is awesome. Talk to me about weeds and pests with uh, with cherries. Are there? What are they? Yeah, you're always going to have Mother Nature throwing you some curveballs. But, you know, thing is, we do have pests, and we just try to work with them. You know, we learn their their biology, their cycles, and the weeds are the same thing. You know, it seems like we do a lot more when your trees are real healthy with uh, natural or compost, and that the trees seem like they're able to be more resistant against pests. You know, and, and we have the cherry fruit fly, the Desophila uh, fly, and all of those two things make worms in the cherries, and that's bad. And so you've got to make sure you don't have worms in your cherries because nobody wants to eat worms. And you just, those, that's probably the main pest, you know, the weeds, you just, weed control, try not to use as little as you have to of weed sprays, you just try to do more cultivation. We, we do a lot of heavy shots of compost, of mulching, the soil it helps a lot with weed control but you're right it's kind of like every in everything you do you kind of have that in mind what is the most natural but the way you can do it is that you can build memory and trust i love that in the industry the biological market has really grown and really evolved and that technology continues for guys just like yourself and obviously products just like yours that is fantastic i do a thing on the show I feel like the American farmer right now is pretty beat up. It's a tough job, but it's such a necessary job. But I always like to find out, I love people to thank a farmer, encourage a farmer. You got any thoughts for the American farmer? I have to say, we're so blessed to have uh, all the infrastructure in this country to make us successful, you know, and and we, we're close to our markets. And why farm in Chile, you have you know, three weeks on a boat to get your product anywhere. And it's hard to do it. And, and the logistics are hard. But here in the United States, we have ability to get our product to the consumer in three or four days. And I, I'm just hoping that, you know, we can keep driving consumer demand. And I think as farmers, if you guys as farmers, just think about how you can drive that consumer demand, you know, is the way we're going to be successful. And consumer demand is flavors and sugars and firmness. All of those things are, are going to drive it. And the product is you, you you grow, if you have a passion, you're going to do the best you can. I, I think that the farmers in the U.S. are the best farmers in the world, and they have the greatest opportunity. Coast to coast and around the world. You're listening to Open Field Radio. 
So here you go. EcoSwing from Gowan USA is an OMRI-listed botanical fungicide created using proprietary plant extracts. Gotta love it. EcoSwing is labeled for use on many different crops to control powdery mildew, botrytis, monolinea, alternaria, and several other diseases. And it's a global leader in fungicidal control of several key pathogens. EcoSwing makes a valuable addition to your integrated pest management program. Add another mode of action to your disease control defense and combat possible resistance from overuse of other actives. EcoSwing. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Company. Open Field Radio. Like, share, subscribe. I love to tell you about things that I like, and that's the only reason I want to tell you about them. And if you're like me, I take notes on post-it notes on anything. I'll write something down. But then what? I lose them, right? Well, here, if you're like me in that way, get yourself the Adobe Scan app. I love this thing. Get it on your phone, right on anything you want. That's right. Get the app out. It's Adobe. Come on. It's going to be quality. Snap a shot of your notes with the camera in the app. Bingo, bango, bongo. You save it. It's a PDF in your phone just as you wrote it. From there, you can share it or do whatever else you want to do with it. But the one thing you won't do, I promise you, you won't lose it. Adobe Scan in your favorite app store. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Open Field Radio. And now back to Open Field Radio with our guest, the Cherry King, Kyle Matheson. I meant to ask you, talk to me about, you You said you make your compost. Yeah. Can you enlighten me there a little bit? No, sure. So we, we have... Uh, you know, cement organic recycle in town where we pick up the yard waste. We have a big grinder. We grind it up. And we uh, normally we take about 50,000 tons up on the hill and then we put it with, you know, 60% yard waste, 20% fruit, 20% manure. And we, we stir it all up. We add some, you know, soft rock phosphate, some uh, gypsum, some lime, some sulfur. And we're kind of doing what we call custom blending for what our soils need. And then, you know, we put it all together. We get water, put on a pipe, put with air going through it. And we cook it for about six weeks and then haul it out to the orchard. Normally we put about eight ton per acre in the springtime, eight ton in the fall. And it seemed like that's what we do. And now there's a lot of biology. You got to know your carbon nitrogen ratio and stuff and try to get it right. And we're always trying to do a better job on our compost. You know, compost is another thing. It's an art. You know, I like cooking and I, and I think compost is really your cooking and it does seem like we make really good compost and you got to have world famous compost for world famous fruit. That's what I say. There you go. You never arrive, like I say. We're always trying to make it better compost. Is the compost generational as well? Have you guys been doing this for generations, or is this your thing? Or This is my thing. About, I think, 2006, I started making compost. And, oh, I... I I didn't do it very good at first. I was way too high in potassium. And and, and then, you know, I learned how to do it and, and it, it got better and better every year. And yeah, you know, when I was a kid, you know, we had some milk cows and stuff. And so we, you know, we shovel out the manure and put it in the trees, around the trees and stuff. And, and I remember doing that, but it was pretty primitive you know <laughs> you had to get rid of the manure and that's what we put it in the orchard we put manure every fall in the orchards and 
And now we kind of more purposely uh, are focused on exactly the nutrition and how much we need and, and stuff. So it's become a long ways. Wow. Very creative. And all, I mean, in the idea that you go, I'm going to do this myself, gosh darn it. We got the resources to do it. There you go. If someone wants to purchase, find, connect with these moon cherries of yours, how do we find them? I think they're pretty readily available on most national retailers. A lot of regional retailers carry them also. And uh, if you don't find them, you just uh, text us or call us to Milton, and we'll try to find you the closest store. What's next for you? What's your, what's the future of uh, the moon cherry? Well, I want to – I'm going to uh, – again to Machu Picchu and I want to uh, I'd like to go to the shaman school and learn how I can connect with the earth better and become a shaman of fruit you know and I, I don't know you have to the thing is it, it takes a while to become a shaman but that would be probably my next goal is to be a shaman but I have to tell you I don't know if I'll make it <laughs> Cherry <laughs> King, Shaman of Fruit. It's got a good ring to it. There you go. Yeah, Shaman of Fruit. There you go. I want to be. You've been listening to Open Field Radio from Gowan Company. Like, share, subscribe, review. Everywhere podcasts are found. The views and opinions expressed by the guests of Open Field Radio are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of the program. All rights reserved. No duplication or redistribution without permission. 